I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher, pastor, and writer in Greeley, Colorado. And with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We have an elite guest with us today. Hooray! We're back with Suzanne. The Suzanne Stabile. Suzanne, I had a question to start us off with. Uh, You have produced two top-shelf podcasts. What is your least favorite thing about podcasting? Uh, hmm, I I like it a lot. I think my least favorite thing used to be letting go of my words without getting a chance to fix them. Ooh. <laughs> I never have that problem. <laughs> you know, that that's tricky. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm better about that. And I think my least favorite thing now is I get to have a conversation with such cool, smart, interesting people. And I'm not known for doing really well with boundaries. And I have to have them. And I feel like my role, unless we're answering Enneagram questions and doing that podcast, which we do, I feel like my role when I'm hosting someone on my podcast is to try to listen through what's being said Mm. and then know what question to ask next or what to discuss next. And uh, that's a, that's something you have to learn. It's I have to learn. Hmm. Other folk, you like y'all may not have to do that, but I have to learn to pick the next thing instead of the five next things hmm. that I wrote down that I'd like to talk about. And I don't know that I always hit the mark with the right next thing, but I think I'm getting better at that too. Hmm. So that I would imagine that would push into some of your strengths as a reactive number that you are hearing, feeling what those in front of you are saying. And that I always, with your podcast, feel like that's that's quite natural. Uh, it doesn't come across as herky-jerky at all to me. You're, you're always podcast. Well, I think the only, un, I, I think the, uh, hopefully you can't see the work of me not over-talking myself and me finding the thing, you know, it, it so that's a huge compliment. If you can't see that work, then yeah. th- that's a great... I, 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 I receive that with a full and glad heart because <laughs> it's hard for me. It's, that, that is one of the interesting things about great artists is that in their greatness, you often can't see how much goes into what they are actually creating. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the other thing I would say is that Joel and I have a a really good working relationship and a really good parent-son relationship. And uh, he knows when to 
to tell me to speed up or to tell me to stop talking about that thing or to, you know, he's got all his signals that he gives to me. So he makes me look uh, much more uh, professional and better than I actually am. I, it'd be very interesting to see what happened if I just didn't have him here one day. Hmm. <laughs> he would probably call me on my phone and say, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to jump back into our conversation about stress numbers. Uh, as we say in the past, the Enneagram is often symbolized by nine numbers in a circle. And here we pick a topic and we go around the circle. And today we're talking about the highs and the lows of our stress number. And so we're going to pick up with the fours. Uh, Suzanne, describing the fours in your outstanding The Road Back to You, uh, you say this. Uh, fours and stress, that is fours moving to the low side of two. You say fours and stress repress their own needs and become excessively dependent on others. Craving attention, they'll need a ton of reassurance and affirmation from friends and partners, and jealousy might surface. TJ, what do you hear there in the move to the low side of stress for fours? Well, it becomes this really interesting dance, as I see, of, of the... Um the sort of I'm focused on you, but I'm really focused on me aspect. So it's, it's giving attention away in order to get attention. And like this representing like the low side of twos in that way, it, it becomes so it's, it's really fascinating to watch happen uh, because you can see how destructive it can be. And uh, yeah, fascinating in this sort of morbid way of, of watching, watching, fours work so hard to get attention by paying attention to others. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting to watch. What are your thoughts on that, Suzanne? Well, I raised a four, so there's that. Um, and um, I don't think there is a, a more challenging number to parent. Mm. I, I think that's really tricky. And I don't think there is a more challenging number to, um, I, I, don't, I don't want to use the word confront, but per, perhaps to challenge. I don't think there's a more difficult number to challenge in relationship mm -hmm. than fours. And I think part of the problem on the low side of two is that they have the same amount of energy and the same desire. You know, your, your motive, you got to do a lot of work for your motive to change if it's unhealthy. And um, I, I think on the low side of two, there is just an exacerbated desire in fours to be seen and heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And there is a... On the high side of two, there is a, I'm willing to come to you and see and understand you and then hope that you will see and understand me. Mm -hmm. But on the low side of two, there is a, a manipulative component that means I will manipulate you into seeing and hearing and understanding me. A and... Um, that manipulation is the, the role or the, or the, the slippery slope into self-indulgence, which is the problem to begin with. Mm. So, you, you know, what happens on the low side of four 
for fours is that they're self-indulgent. And what happens on the low side of two for fours is there's this helpful thing of reaching out, but on the low side, it's, I, I will get you to understand me one way or another. Hmm. Right? And, and fours in the low side of four are willing to just embrace melancholy and the idea that they're never going to be understood. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think the only way to look at fours, no matter what the move is, the only way to look at fours is that they are the most unique number on the Enneagram, I think. I believe there are fewer fours than any other number. I believe there are people who are not in an interpersonal relationship with a four who they don't really know them. And I believe that by the time fours reach uh, early adolescence, they've already given up on people getting them. Mm. So when I first started teaching, uh, fours would come up to me and say, especially on college campuses, but certainly not only there, older fours too, nobody gets me. And I, I, in my early years, I said, well, I think understanding yourself is going to really help with that. I think that's going to get better for you. Mm. And then I realized that it's not going to get better. Mm. And that the truth is people don't get you. Right. They don't get you. And the problem is, for fours, they have to really discipline themselves in terms of what they want other people to, to see and want to know more about and want to understand. And in the low side of two, they just throw that up on you mm. rather than the high side of two where they're building a relationship that sets the table for them to ask you to get to know them, like really know them. Mm. You see the difference? I had a question for you on this front. Since you uh, are the parent of both an eight and a four, you get to experience what it's like to have uh, that relationship on the lines, on the arrows. I find those sorts of relationships really interesting because I imagine for your four child that they in stress are going to where you live and reside and have lots of experience. And on the flip side with your eight, that they, you're secure, you are her, her secure self. Um, and I was, I was hoping you could talk about uh, relationships on the arrows or on the lines. Sure. So, um, first of all, let me say that it took me a while to recognize how incredibly different twos and fours are. There's just a thing there that looks like it's just a little turn. It's just a, a little different little path on the same road, and that is not true. Mm. And so the ways that I initially tried to parent BJ as a four in eh, maybe fourth grade on, I initially laid my desires on him as a child Mm. because I thought we were more alike than we were. Yeah. Right? So I would say to him, I'm so sorry. I know it must really hurt your feelings that people don't like you. And he would say, I don't really care. And I would say, sure you do. Mm. And he would say, no, no, I I really don't. Well, he really didn't. Mm -hmm. And I cared. Right? So when I, so, so you cannot put on a, 
put on a number that you share a line with yourself and have them receive it. That, that isn't what happens. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a piece of yourself that meets them in the middle and they too have had the experience of, of uh, living in two-ness that meets you in the middle. Hmm. So uh, let, me, let me give some examples. First of all, let me just also add that BJ is a four and we live in Texas and his dad is a United Methodist pastor and I'm in ministry of sorts and he's gay. So that, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a whole lot anywhere. And it's a lot in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And, and, and so, so, Jeff, that means that on the low side of two, there's also a desperation in fours. They take on that two, I can be anything you want me to be. And when that two is rejected, then there is a deep melancholy that is not bittersweet Mm. for fours. Mm. Um, Eights, when the child is an eight and the parent is a two and you share a line on the Enneagram, there is an acquiescence that looks like abandoning the parental role. Sure. Right? So you have to be very careful that you... um, Know what you think, that you've examined what the argument's going to be, and that it's worth it to you to have the disconnect over that thing. Hmm. So we were willing to have disconnects. I was willing to have a disconnect with Joey until, I don't know, three years ago maybe, if it was worth the cost. And it was the cost to me, right? So think about eight anger. Eights get angry. And, so, and you know it and they know it, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. And it's over. But it's not over for twos. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what happened is maybe for the last five years in us sharing a line on the Enneagram, we have literally learned to go physically to the other one and say, these are my feelings. And I have to manage my feelings to go have that conversation with her so if you think about the fact that twos but not eights and not fours when they move to two only twos feel the feelings of other people Mm -hmm. halfway you know when an eight comes to two in security number one they don't stay there long and secondly they don't while they're there take on that part of two that feels other people's feelings that doesn't happen And so the two, both with the four and with the eight, is still carrying the feelings for all three Mm. and is still reacting to the feelings of all three numbers. And when you as a two can't sort that out, then sharing a line with a four and an eight is very messy. Mm -hmm. But when you can learn to know your feelings as opposed to picking up on their feelings, then there's much more integrity when you meet on that line that you share. Hmm. And Joey's uh, firstborn is a four because God gets it. <laughs> that eights have to learn from that experience, yeah. right? So she helped us when she was in 
junior high and high school by telling us all the things we were doing wrong in parenting BJ. Sure. And, <laughs> I, and it was a, an ongoing litany. <laughs> Very helpful. And I used to think, what's going to fix this? And her firstborn is a four, and it sure did fix it. (laughs) So, um, you know, there are things happening that we're not controlling. (laughs) And so I, I think this is the best language to use if you live with and love people that you share an arrow with. I think in your head, the best language for you to use is... I hope we can meet in the middle here, just the middle. And then you work on the middle of the line, Mm. not live in a dream that you can move freely from one end to the other Mm. because you cannot. So I got a question for you on on that front because I find the healthy fours in my life, as an Enneagram one, the healthy fours in my life are a treasure to me because when I'm stressed out, and I have a conversation with them, the perspective given me, and this may be their foreness as well, it may not be the line, but I find the perspective given me is, uh, yeah, it's just a treasure. I've never heard the idea of meeting on the line. I've always thought about it as going to that other place. Do you experience that with eights, that they live in that space where you're going in stress? And they and and I allow them to teach me. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's 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 be sure everybody gets to hear us say this. Uh, you're a philosopher and a theologian. <laughs> I am. Like you don't meet yourself coming and going at the grocery store. True. Okay. I mean, you just don't. And when you've done the kind of thinking that you do, you automatically are operating from a different place than the rest of us. You are. I, 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 I had to drop philosophy th- th- three times at SMU. <laughs> I withdrew passing. But every time, you know, I'm from the panhandle, from a farming and ranching community, and every time this same professor said, a cow has four legs and a table has four legs, therefore a cow's a table. <laughs> And I would just pack up my books and go withdraw <laughs> passing and call my parents and say, sorry. And, and finally, SMU suggested that I go to the junior college and just take a math course, <laughs> that they would accept it. So I'm, all I want to say is when we're trying to think as Enneagram teachers and authors, when we're trying to think through what we think we know, We have to think about our perspective. So I've been doing Enneagram work since I was 38 or 39 years old, and I'm 70. I have to operate from that perspective in order to communicate with people who don't have many tools on board. Hmm. So I can see how, as a one, you can go to four, and that's really helpful for you. But let me give you another example. BJ is married, and his husband's number is one uh-huh. and Devin will say I'll say how are y'all doing well BJ's a little extra this week now that's mm-hmm. a lovely way of talking about fours because they're always extra mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the thing when it happens for you as a one in the bottom of one you think you know what I'm, I'm 
I give up. Nobody tries as hard as I do. Nobody cares as much as I do. I've tried to talk them into it. I've tried to show them the right way. I've, I've done everything I know to do. And so, I, you know, it's hopeless. And then you talk to a four, and I bet you, if you start to look at it, it's creative ways to get out of that space that they offer you. And it's creative ways to communicate what got you to that space to other people that helps you. Hmm. It's creativity that you lack in your oneness, especially in the bottom of one. And they offer it in spades. What I experience seems to me a non-judgmentalness, a sitting in pain, a... Um, I love the idea of creativity and I, and I don't, I especially don't feel judged for needing to center myself on my own identity issues, uh, with fours. And they seem to be able to talk into that space with a lot of clarity. Because they're the only number on the Enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So when you feel terrible about yourself... They don't try to tell you that you shouldn't. Yeah. They sit with you till you don't. And other people say, it's good enough. I don't know why you're beating yourself up. And your response is, if you lived with the voice in my head that I live with, you'd think it's remarkable that I'm doing as well as I'm doing. Entirely right. Move to the fives. Uh, Suzanne, you described the fives move to the low side of seven this way. Fives in stress hoard and cling more tightly to things, which only makes their world feel smaller and smaller. When this happens, they turn their attention away from the needs of others and focus almost solely on their own need for safety and independence. Here, fives become frivolous, disorganized, and distracted to the point of not being able to complete tasks. In this space, fives can become ruse. Is that how you say that? Ruse? Ruse? I'm unfamiliar with this word. Anyway, the in this space, fives can become ruse, condescending, and disconnected. What do you see there, TJ? Well, first of all, I see a uh, uh, typo. <laughs> oh, is so, that what it was? It's rude. <laughs> it's rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> The yeah. uh, I have a limited vocabulary, so it, uh, it was. I have a anyway. limited vocabulary. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Um, the problem with fives, anyway, is that they are, by their nature, cynical and sarcastic when attempting humor. So, in average space or below average space, not even having moved yet to seven, fives uh, are often listening to you and looking at you and not agreeing with you and not saying anything. And then they are waiting maybe for another day or another time that you're together or another conversation. And then they have a cynical, sarcastic remark that is connected but not direct. Mm. So when they go to the high side of seven... They are uh, fun and lighthearted, and they can laugh at themselves without feeling threatened. And they are far less judgmental than they are even in five or the bottom of unhealthy Mm -hmm. in five, right? Mm -hmm. But when they go to the low side of seven, they somehow, the best language I have is that they 
lose control of themselves in a way. And I don't think they're actually particularly practiced in controlling themselves because they don't have enough energy to get involved in everything. They crave privacy, so they don't feel like they need to join a conversation to tell you what Mm -hmm. their experience is. Mm -hmm. So they haven't had to work to boundary themselves. And in the low side of Mm. seven, they don't know how. That's interesting. That's a good line. So they they haven't practiced it. Mm -hmm. They're not good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they really understand what they did in the low side of seven looking back. Yeah. Like day before yesterday, I really behaved badly. Mm. That that's that's what you hear, but they also are not practiced in apologizing or being vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily gonna do that either. So you know, one of the teachings about fives is that um, if Christmas is on Tuesday, they feel it on Friday. Well, if they behave badly in the low side of seven, they feel that on Friday too. Hmm. And the idea that they might really work to reconnect, probably not. Mm. Probably just is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A- and the other thing is, fives kind of cheat, I think. Um, maybe that's not fair language, but it, it feels like cheating to me. When they listen while everybody says this is who I am or this is how I messed up or this is how I'm behaving badly during the quarantine or this is how I'm doing ABC, and then they don't share what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we can find, and there are reasons for that, and I, you know, I, I can understand them, but I, th- I think we find with fives that they know an awful lot about us and we don't know much about them. Mm-hmm. And that if we ask them directly, we're probably not going to get an answer. And that's for sure true around feelings. So this is the last point I'd like to make about that. Fives are, are, are the walking example of the cultural misunderstanding in the West of the difference between feelings and thinking. Like, people use those two words interchangeably, and they aren't interchangeable. If they were, I would be a philosopher. (laughs) They are not interchangeable. And so if you ask a five what they're feeling, they always tell you what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask two or three times, and they have to trust you if you're ever going to get to a feeling. But while sevens only have, are, are only connected in average space to a half range of feelings, when fives land in that space... And there are all these feelings. So they don't know how to manage their feelings. They don't know how to manage conversation where everybody is playing. They don't know because they aren't practiced. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean when they look back at it on Thursday that they don't regret their behavior. But it does mean that on Thursday, unless challenged, they're likely not to go back and try to repair the damage from their behavior on the low side of seven. And when your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller as a five, scarcity mentality gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And that causes all of that hoarding and that selfishness and that 
but it has an edge to it on the low side of seven that would indicate that it's cute or it's okay or, yeah, I am and you should be too, you know. So maybe to wrap that up from my side, unless you have another thing you want me to talk about, I would say that people who have said to fives, oh, you must be loving this pandemic and this self-quarantine. That's Mm. your space. They're saying, actually, no. Mm. No, I'm not. They are in the fear triad. Their number in stress is to fear triad. Mm. And they try to manage that with uh, gathering knowledge and information. And information is not knowledge, and knowledge is not wisdom. And the information that we get actually is not very trustworthy. So they're not enjoying this mm-hmm. at all. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about stances and, today, and but if we were, I would say that healthy fives, healthy fives are getting a lot done. Hmm. Even though they're normally doing repressed because they're able to channel all that energy from thinking into that, I got to get stuff done. Yeah. Space. Yeah, what do you think, Teach? Well, I and I think they like like you mentioned this they even towards the more healthy side but definitely in the unhealthy space of five they also don't have the capacity to talk about the fact that they're not doing well in this so and and like I'm seeing this in in the the space of like that idea of something happening on Tuesday and them not dealing with it until Friday that but then because they don't feel it until Friday, they don't ever actually deal with it. Like that means that it just keeps getting worse. They just keep drawing further back. Exactly. And I I think when we're doing Enneagram work, we would do well to make sure that we don't confuse capacity and potential. Hmm. They have the potential to do that. The yeah. reason they don't have the capacity is because they don't have any practice. Right. Mm. Right. Right. My take on this was that um, the high side of seven offers a joy that seems to communicate the heart's message to a five that your needs are not a problem and getting to the high side of seven in stress looks something like that, that the stinginess that a five can experience um, in, their, in their mental space in stress gets confronted by engaging aggressively the joy at seven. And uh, we didn't really talk about the high side of five, but do you, do you have thoughts on the high side? Sure. Um, I, I think that for sevens and fives, you can only receive joy. You cannot create it. You can create happiness, hmm. but you can only receive joy. And I think fives are delighted when they experience joy. And they're almost, uh, I don't want to say childlike, but there's a, there's, a pure, there's a pure side to the delight mm. because it's rare, mm. because it's unmeasured. They didn't have to measure anything to experience it. It's waiting there for them on the high side of seven. So they can be delighted with themselves. They can be delighted with their families, with with their friends, with their garden, with uh, whatever. And I also think uh, sevens are very generous people. 
And many sevens are minimalists like fives are and generous. And so it's like you get to be generous with feelings and you get to be generous in conversation exchange without regretting it on Thursday. Yeah. Hmm. It's excellent. It's, yeah, it's magical kind of. And, and isn't it great that wherever we got this wonderful wisdom of the Enneagram, that that's the move. Like if you knew all the numbers and you got to pick a number that you thought would be the way a five could balance, you'd pick seven. Right. Yeah. And it happens to fall where the line is. Like I, sometimes I look at the Enneagram and say, wowza. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not sure it wasn't on the other side of the tablets, you know, the 10 tablets mm, sure. on the back side <laughs> yeah. with the nine Enneagram numbers. Right. <laughs> Moving to six, Suzanne, you described the sixes move to the low side of three this way. In stress, sixes become workaholics who pursue material success or hoard resources to make themselves feel more secure. In this space, sixes are more inclined to misrepresent themselves and to project an image of competency to fend off their own anxiety and give others the impression they have it all together. They won't try anything they don't think they can do successfully, which, since they already lack confidence, means they are reluctant to take necessary risks. Uh, what you hear, Teach? We talked before about how a lot of these are, are sort of a doubling down of the problems in their own space, and, and this becomes, like, like it's almost tragic to watch this uh, because the sixes who were so unsure of themselves become more interested in how other people see them in an unhealthy three space and become more afraid to fail. And like that idea of not taking necessary risks, like you see that de-evolution, that the sort of like breakdown of wanting to do anything that could be perceived as the wrong thing or a failure or, um, and, and so not even entertaining new stuff at all ever because it's it and it's so through the way that they appear so interesting mm -hmm. there yeah do you have some thoughts Suzanne <laughs> what if I said no <laughs> I'd move on to the next thing <laughs> I wouldn't believe you <laughs> that's right <laughs> I have thought of you um so let's let's talk for a minute about whether or not the six is phobic or counterphobic. Okay. Uh, also, we are fully on board with your move to it being more of a spectrum. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I, I love that so much. Oh, it's me so too. Good. I thought, well, there's a moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I even had to pause after that for a little bit and think, my goodness, that's good. So, all right, I'm back now. Um <clears throat> I haven't quite figured out how to talk about this yet, but I think along with the fact that sixes are somewhere on a spectrum from phobic to counterphobic, and along with the fact that they can, can and do move uh, on that spectrum, I do think that their lens through which they see are a little different. And uh, here's what I think the difference is. Both phobic, no matter where you are on the spectrum, you're focused on authority. 
And on, on the phobic end of the spectrum, you trust authority. You put your security in doing what authority says. If you do what they say, then you're going to be safe. You um, want them to be proud of you, kind of. You know, in, in the generation before me, it would have been the people who worked hard for the same company forever and got a gold watch. Mm-hmm. In my generation, it's whether or not you were promoted and promoted and promoted, but it's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? And it has to do with authority. Uh, I can trust authority figures. The other end of the spectrum, the counterphobic end of the spectrum, it's I'm aware of everything authority figures want and do, and I'm watching them to make sure that they do what they say they're going to do, that they take care of the least among us, that they're not just giving us a package of stuff, right? Mm. So I'm trying to live with right now the fact that I don't know that the lens completely changes when you move up and down the spectrum. I'm not completely sure that if, if we said zero is phobic and 10 is counterphobic, I'm not completely sure that at four and three, you still don't really trust authority. Hmm. And I'm not completely sure that at six and seven, you do, right? Like, I, I'm, right. I'm just not sure about that part. Those things would influence what happens when you go to the low side of three. And this is how. Your manic behavior in the low side of three would either be to be more pleasing to authority and more committed to how they see things and more on board with their philosophy of life. And for a counterphobic six on the low side of three, it would be that you're more afraid of authority figures and you're more afraid to detour from what they think and you're more afraid to detour from groupthink. And so you say, when asked a question, what do you think about the sermon today? Well, the pastor said, mm-hmm. right? What do you think about what's happening in the country? Well, the president said, mm. right? So I, I think we got to be very careful about just acting like they're the same. when they move to three, because they're not. And I don't think they ever change being focused on authority. I think it's just how focused they are and how much they trust authority. So to to say right now, uh, in real time with everything that's going on, if you are uh, uh, or tend to spend more time on the phobic end of six, then you are actually more inclined to believe authority figures and to side with them than if you're inclined to spend more time on the counterphobic end where you don't trust authority. And in a time like this, when people who are in uh, my line of thinking about there being more sixes than any other number, then uh, generally sixes are concerned about the common good, so they vote. Hmm. And it's a tricky time for a phobic six to change how they vote. Yeah. Mm. So I think that we culturally, uh, we who know the Enneagram, try in whatever work we do to set the table for nine ways of seeing. 
I think when it comes to sixes, we have to set the table for ten ways of seeing hmm. because of the difference in counterphobic and phobic sixes at times, which doesn't, interestingly enough, which doesn't affect their passion or their sin. They are still struggling, no matter where they are on the continuum, with fear. Mm-hmm. It's just how they manage fear. Are they going to give into it? Or are they going to try to overcome it? Mm-hmm. The what I hear there, and especially in the healthy move to three for a six, is that what the six can gain at three is um, a valuing of themselves and their own excellence. And that works for both counterphobic and phobic because it good. seems to me the, the root cause there of everything on both the phobic and counterphobic side is their own self-doubt. And on the high side of three, you have what it takes. You are amazing and have so much to offer the rest of us is the high side there that needs to get engaged. That's Um, exactly right. And I I think sixes who know the Enneagram have a responsibility to try to access the high side of three. But because they're carrying answers inside of them that the rest of us need. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're not going to risk offering them unless they're on the high side of three. Ooh, and on the yeah. low side of three, there's, a, there's a, a manic doing that just causes more stress. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's sort of a doing without really standing up for yourself. Or, or anything else. Right. It's just doing. Right. Doing, 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 mm-hmm. doing, doing. And not one doing where you're accomplishing things. Not, not that kind of doing, just doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, moves us to the sevens. Uh, describing the sevens move to the low side of one, you write, when under stress, sevens adopt the perfectionistic behavior of ones. They become pessimistic, judgmental, and argumentative. They start blaming others for their problems and lapse into black and white thinking. What do you hear there, TJ? Um, I'm thinking about the the move from the sort of um, uh, spontaneousness and like carefree moving of seven into the kind of perfectionist order of ones, uh, and and so in that move, like moving, keeping the motivation of the seven, but moving towards that, that sort of like, there is a right way to do things. Um, there's like, they pick up rigidity. Like rigidity is such a good word there because that's like, that's, that is the thing that they pick up when they're unhealthy and it becomes like it, it, it's so visible to the rest of us watching this because they do get, they get judgmental. They get like, they're, we're going to do things this way because this is the way that it should be done. And like almost like an eightish bullishness. Um, but yeah. Um, I think there is a, a, a somehow on the journey to, for sevens to the low side of one, you, you get a righteous anger along the way. Mm. It, it's like you pass this square and you get righteous anger and then you pass three more squares and you get arrogance Hmm. and at each one of those places you forget to bring your sense of humor with you Hmm. 
so you don't get away with what you get away with <laughs> yeah. in seven. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like they forgot their charm. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, that's right. And, and they aren't wasting time on the low side of one trying to charm you. It's like you're an idiot. Mm. And I know the answer to this. And it's not, it isn't even let me teach you. It's I hope you catch up sometime. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right? And um, <laughs> can you tell I raised a seven? <laughs> <laughs> Who's in the room? <laughs> <laughs> So, it's fine. Uh, he can't hear our side. So it, what, I, what I think happens is there's an appreciable goodness in a lateral move to one because they're getting stuff done. Hmm. Good, the good space of getting mm-hmm. all this stuff done. It feels so great, and I'm capable, and I did it. But then there's the uh, insecurity in structure, that causes them to be a little bit arrogant because they're afraid of it. Yeah. Mm. On, on the high side there, there seems to me to be something really valuable for the seven who yeah. is going to fixate on their scheming. And if you gain the ordered holistic perspective at one, it's going to counter that in a real healthy way. Do you want to talk about the high side of ones? I do, but I, do I have time to talk a little more about the low side? Yep. Okay, here, here, here's what I'm worried about about the low side. Um, there's still an innocence there coupled with the arrogance. And I don't think sevens understand themselves on the low side of one. Ooh. And, and because they don't understand what they're doing and how they're reacting and the trouble they're causing and the relational damage that they're doing... They don't. They just don't see it. Hmm. Yeah. And it costs them. They pay for the low side. Sevens pay for the low side of their stress number in a way that I don't think any other number does. Yeah. The, the feeling repression of sevens and eights strikes me as similar on that front. Yeah, Do you absolutely. see that differently? Yeah. No, I, I absolutely see that. And so because you aren't picking up the totally negative responses to the things that you're saying and doing. Mm-hmm. But then there's damage when you're back to being yourself, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, I don't know how to fix that. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm back living in my one half range of feelings. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that sevens who don't understand what's happening in the low side of one, who don't know the Enneagram or who don't know themselves and haven't figured it out without knowing the Enneagram, I, I think they have regret that they carry that they don't know how to heal hmm. that and that's yep. problematic for one who lives in spontaneity and yeah so that's is what it I got. The, is it the case on that front that the move towards the seven's virtue of sobriety feels like there's something there at one that's going on it's i i went too far and the sober-mindedness that's available at one can push their virtue forward yeah, and you know, sobriety actually uh, for sevens means having a single-pointed focus. So if, you know, you can leave your spontaneity behind when you go to one, but you don't leave 
along with your spontaneity, your normal pattern of doing the next thing and the next thing and whatever catches your eye. And so there's a possibility in one anywhere past midway for another sense of failure. So you just go from failure in the bottom of seven to failure in the bottom of one. Ah, hmm. uh, sure. Yeah. Yep. But th- there's, a, there's like this very helpful thing on the high side of one where you have a list of stuff to do and it took you two hours and you got it done. And you're like, wow. And you did the whole list. Yeah, the whole list. Yeah. And you finished all the things. Mm-hmm. And you're not carrying all that, too. So, I, yeah, I, th- I think there's lots of goodness there. I just think you don't get to go there without, you know, you don't get to go there without some struggle. And you, you, you just don't. It's perfect. Um, Suzanne, you brought up just wanting to go around the circle real quick with each of the types adopting the stance of uh, their stress number. So the brief word for eights, ones, and threes who all withdraw in stress, what do you see there? Well, eights, ones, and threes withdrawing in stress is um, not the withdrawing stance. So the withdrawing stance is made up of fours, fives, and nines. And... So what happens that's so important when eights, ones, and threes withdraw is it's damage control. Mm -hmm. They withdraw in stress when they're aware of the damage and that it has something to do with them. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Nadia Boltz-Weber is a really good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had her on the podcast when she turned 50. Mm -hmm. And she's a very aggressive eight. And I asked her when she turned 50, I said, hey, what, what's the Enneagram teaching you at 50? And she said, it's uh, teaching me to look at the destruction in the wake of my eightness. Hmm. So that's the big look. And the little look is for ones, threes, and eights to withdraw so that they can take a look at the destruction that their numbers cause. Yes. Hmm. And it's a, it can be a very healthy place or it can be filled with guilt. And that guilt is just unnecessary. So what, however you are in the world, whatever faith belief you have or whatever Buddhist techniques you know or whatever riding a bicycle does for you, if you're into that, what, whatever gives you peace... You need to really go get it <laughs> if you're an eight, a three, or a one, and you've withdrawn. Because it means that you intuitively recognize that there's damage and mm-hmm. that you're a part of that. And I'm thinking about the, like, from the particular motivation of those three types, like the damage caused has to do with, like, I'm sure the eights, it has to do with injustice. Like the like the people being treated unfairly by yes. their by their th- thing. For threes, it's their failure and the way that they they failed in these certain areas, for ones, it has to do with their goodness. Like they've become the sort of corruption that has to do with, that feeds the withdrawal. That's and right. the damage that they're seeing is through that lens. And you know, one of the big problems with ones is that they uh, are so hard on themselves, they even deny themselves their innate intuitive needs, their mm. innate needs. And so 
that's why so many ones have been ascetics over the years and mm. who have tried to beat themselves into submission with instinctual needs and desires. It's never going to work. It never has worked and it's never going to work. And um, we've not done a good job making a space in the world for ones who are so inclined to be so hard on themselves. Mm. And churches have certainly not done a good job. Yeah. Mm. Moves us to those numbers that um, adopt the reactive stance of their stress number. These would be nines, sevens, and fours. Right. Um, what do you see as a commonality between those three numbers, Suzanne? Um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting look to me because nines are reactive in order to avoid conflict. Sevens are reactive in order to avoid pain and fours are reactive in an effort to be seen and known in that space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a desperation in some ways with all three. The other thing I, I would say about nines is they're not only reactive in a desire to avoid conflict, but they're also reactive in a desire to manage their own anger. I haven't met very many nines over 40 who don't have a healthy fear of their own anger. Mm. And uh, that's part of their desire to avoid it. You know, part of it is they just don't want to be affected by life. But by the time that you're reactive, you've already been affected, mm. right? And for sevens, they have a half range of feelings, and they're happy with that. And it's they think, is a full range of emotional content within themselves. And so they're, they're trying to protect that uh, pu'er way of looking at the world, right? They're, they're trying to protect this innocence and the way that they want to see the world. And so they react to being in a position where they can't see the world that way. Mm. And I think fours, uh, I think fours are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram other than eights. I think female eights top fours being misunderstood. And I, I think fours react to themselves before they react to other people. And I think it is always a reaction that includes shame. And it's sort of like, how can I get this off of me? How, I, how, how can I? So that's my, that's what I've got hmm. in that. Yeah, lots of reaction to the underlying feelings of those types, uh, which I put together. The, uh, what, do you, what do you say, Teach? I'm still thinking about that. Okay. <laughs> that's a lot to take in. <laughs> that's my, that this is my in. type. It's a lot to take in. What's what's hilarious, Suzanne? If you knew our church, about about fifty percent of our church is either fours or female eights. So this is like, this is this is the folks that we do quite a bit of work with. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and don't you think that um, being reactive always means for humans protecting our own vulnerability, right? Like, where am I the most vulnerable? Mm -hmm. So for nines, it's when there's anger. And for sevens, they're the most vulnerable when they have to live in this other half range of emotions where they're uncomfortable and unpracticed. And, and in fours, I think they're the most uncomfortable when they get what they ask for. Hmm. Right? It's like, 
I want you to see me. I want you to understand me. I want you to spend time listening to who I am. I want to tell you who I am. And then when somebody says, okay, then the response is, oh God, who, who am I? Who have I wanted you to know all this time? Mm. How am I going to tell you that? How am I going to tell you that in the 30 minutes I have? How am I going to, like, what am I going to do? Right? Mm. Well, because their stance has been to withdraw, withdraw, yeah. withdraw to That's get right. that attention. That's right. That's mm. right. It's always been you come get me. Yep. And then, then when we do, it's like, oh, I have a lifetime of things I want to tell you. How long do I have? <laughs> right. uh, last triad here is those who adopt the stance of demanding numbers. So these would be twos, fives, and sixes in stress. What do you see there with uh, the commonality between twos, fives, and sixes, Suzanne? Well, um, you know, I'm going to start with fives and sixes and hope we run out of time. (laughs) (laughs) I think this. I think fives demand privacy. And I think twos are indulgent and they demand to be heard while they verbally process whatever pushed them into being demanding. Does that Mm. make sense? Mm. Yep. So twos are demanding to be seen and heard. Fives are demanding privacy. And sixes are demanding participation under their rules. In other words, I demand to be in the group. I demand the right to not answer. Mm. Or I demand the right to answer. Mm. Right? Or I I demand to uh, be a a silent participant. I demand. It's tricky. It's a, sixes are very tricky because they um, want lots of answers to lots of questions. And they demand to have their questions answered. Mm. And they ask hard questions questions that the rest of us are not accustomed to asking. And in the middle of answering their hard questions when they're in this space, we, we don't quite know how to counter with an equally demanding question. Hmm. Hmm. So that being pelted with questions that makes you feel like you have to prove yourself somehow or prove your loyalty somehow is very frustrating. Hmm. And I, um, I think all three of these numbers have to do, and this is probably a bigger discussion, but I think they all three have to do with different approaches to being in community. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that a lot, like the twos demanding that sort of attention, like it has to do with the relationship between them and the other person. Right. Fives demanding their privacy is still a, a sort of like walled off space. Yeah. Uh, just in a, in a much more aggressive kind of way. And six is demanding that, that sort of um, needing to know exactly what the rules are and that we are following the rules is still in the sense of thinking about the greater good, uh, thinking about, about how everything affects the group in a way, just in a much more aggressive way than we're accustomed to. And, and in my experience uh, with certainly counterphobic sixes, it is not how are we going to solve the problem. It's how are you going to solve yeah, the problem. Yeah. And mm. what rules are you going to break to do it? Mm-hmm. 
but and still why thinking do you think about you can? the place with like sure. how the group structure works. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's tricky. It it's very tricky. Uh, I think those those three much harder than the other six. Mm-hmm. Susanna can't be said enough from us how much we appreciate uh, your work and faithfulness and um, just how how much we're looking forward to the next time we get to, to interact with you. Um, and it's just been a joy to talk shop on these fronts and much love to you and your family and all the great things that I imagine you're doing. Um, I heard you're, you're, you might be working on, on something right now. Yeah, I might be. Might be. The tight, tight lipped, um, tight lipped, but already sold. Excellent. Uh, perfect. Suzanne, thank you so much. We love and adore you. Um, if you have not yet subscribed to our podcast, we would love for you to hit subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, if you liked what we are doing, Take two seconds, pause, write us a brief review, or give us some stars. You can find our work on Instagram at Around the Circle Podcast and all the links to all of our stuff at AroundTheCircle.org. But the best thing that you can do is share this episode with somebody that you love. The music we use is by The Collection out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and by Tim Coons from right here in Greeley, Colorado. If you dig our pop culture deep dives, you can help us select upcoming series and hear more of our stuff on our Patreon page. And that's what I got. TJ, you got anything else? Uh, in case it hasn't been said, uh, Suzanne can be found at uh, Life in the Trinity Ministries. Um, and she's all over the internet. So just Google her name. You'll find her, Suzanne Seville. Uh, <clears throat> she's famous. It's true. Other than that, I got nothing. I feel like this is almost like the culmination of our career. So I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> it's all done. downhill from it's, here. It's all over from here. We hit the apex and now yeah, it's it. just time to get old. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. She's Suzanne Stabile and she is a Titan of Enneagram wisdom. And I'm Jeff Cook and who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are and you'll set the world on fire. 